Good morning, Willow Park Church family. I hope you are keeping warm throughout this week. Uh, this week has reminded me of my Saskatchewan days, waking up, turning on my vehicle, and just hearing that, and then boom, it firing up, and that sense of relief happening. And so I hope you've been, you're probably enjoying staying at home and maybe cuddling up uh, with a blanket and a cup of coffee as we have church this morning. And so... We are continuing our series in Daniel, and Pastor Phil will be uh, bringing the message. But you know what? In the midst of the second wave, I've been chatting with a lot of people who have just been experiencing that, just a bit more down uh, as the second wave has come. I mean, it's, it's February, it's cold. Um, we had, you know, that sense of opening up a bit ago for like three, four months, and then you know, the second wave has come and the shutdown has happened again. And I've been reading this verse every day to help me uh, encourage myself through Christ. Uh, you know what? He's with me and he's strengthening me. And I want to share that verse with you today. It's found in Isaiah 41, verse 10. And it says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. This has been a verse that has just been helping me each and every day. That Christ, that God, he is with me. He's right there beside me. When I feel dismayed, when I feel burdened, when I feel distracted, when I feel hopeless, he's right there. His righteous hand holding me up. When I feel weak, when I feel tired, when I maybe even feel just down, his righteous hand is there keeping me up. So I pray today, as you are, maybe you're feeling these, this dismayed, you're feeling a bit weak, that know that God, that Christ, he's right there holding you up with his righteous hand. And so we're going to enter in worship together. Before we do that, I just want to pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that we can gather today online, cozy in our homes, in the midst of winter, and Lord, that we can worship you. Lord, we recognize that you are the king, Lord, that you are the one who upholds us. You are the one who strengthens us. You are the one who gives us hope. You are the one who gives us peace. You are the one who is there when we feel just dismayed and distracted. We recognize your hand upon us. And so we worship you because you are our strength. We worship you because you are our king. We worship you because you give us life and you give it to us abundantly. And so we thank you for you, Jesus. And we worship you today. Amen. Welcome, Willow Park Church. So glad that you joined us today. We're going to start by singing God of our salvation. It's good to remind ourselves that God is our salvation. He is the one who helps us through these really difficult, challenging times.
the victory because of you because of your death and then your resurrection on the cross so that even when we're faced with really hard times even when we're tired and weary we can come to you and you say come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest Lord I pray that even as we have this time together now that you would give us rest in our souls that it would be like that beautiful Psalm 23 you make us lie down in green pastures and beside still waters and you restore our soul. Lord, we want to build our life upon you because you are worthy to have our full devotion, our full attention. Worthy of all the praise. 
them my vision, O Lord of my heart. Show me who you are. Fill me with your heart. Lead me in your love to those around me. Be thou my vision. Be thou my wisdom. That's our prayer. 
that regardless of what happens day to day, whatever befalls, that you will be our wisdom, you will be our vision, you will always be first. You will lead us in your love to all those who are around about us. God, help us to consider others this week, that we would think about how we could reach out, how we can encourage, how we can help and lift up for your namesake, for your glory, because this is your will for us in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Sarah, for leading us in worship. What a wonderful song, Be Thou My Vision, uh, which leads perfectly right into our communion uh, as we begin to focus on Christ uh, again, you know, as we partake together in communion. Uh, I just want to take a moment. You can go and gather your elements, and I just want to share some quick thoughts on communion before we partake together. This week I've been reading through the BCMB Confession of Faith, and I reached the Lord's Supper and as I read through it, there's three things that they really emphasized and they, they, stuck out, uh, they stood out to me. And the one was the purpose, the power, and the promise of the Lord's Supper. And it's amazing to remember these things as we enter in. The purpose, right? Remembering what Jesus did for us on the cross. Why he needed to come. You know, as we remember, it's a huge thing about, uh, in regards to our faith. Remembering what Christ has done for us. My wife, she journals daily, and you know, then she'll go back and look on her journal from the past year, and she can see you know, the promises the Lord uh, has spoken to her. And maybe some of those have been fulfilled, maybe they're not, but it's a reminder that you know, He has fulfilled as she looks towards those things that you know, she's waiting for Him to fulfill. We're constantly, be, we need to be people who remember Remembering what he's done, remembering his goodness, remembering those monumental moments, remember those things that, you know, he showed up in a mighty way, remembering what he's done for us. And this is the purpose of the Lord's Supper, remembering what Jesus did. Then there's the power. And we see the Christ's power on the cross. He went to the cross for us, and he didn't stay on the cross. They thought they defeated him, they thought they had killed him, but no. He came back and rose again and defeated sin. So now there is life, not death. We experience it through the covering of his blood. The power of Jesus' death and resurrection, right? Defeats sin. There's so much power in the Lord's Supper, remembering what Jesus came to do for us. Then there's this promise. Not just one promise, but two. There's a promise that as we accept him, as we say yes to Jesus, I follow you, I recognize that I'm a sinner, that we experience salvation. He now lives and resides in us. But the second promise is that he's coming back again. There's going to be another time where we can actually commune with Jesus in a different way. So we're reminded that this is just for a moment, until he comes back and we have this celebration with him again. And so, let's partake in this together, remembering the purpose, remembering the power, remembering the promise that the, as we do, as we partake in the Lord's Supper, remembering those things and the power of it. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 11, 
24. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake this body together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's partake. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the power of the cross. We thank you for the purpose. We thank you for the promise. Lord, we remember these things as we partake in communion together. The early disciples, they did this daily, Lord, because they knew that they constantly needed to be reminded of the cross, reminded of what you did for us. And Lord, let that be our practice, remembering each day what you've done for us, remembering why we are here, remembering the promises of salvation. We don't want to be forgetful people. We don't want to be lost, visionless. Lord, we want to keep our eyes focused on you, remembering your goodness, remembering your purpose, remembering your power, remembering why you came for us. Lord, let us not forget that we are your sons and daughters, that we have purpose through you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Now, I'm going to take it up, give it to Courtney, as she's going to lead us in our family news. Hello, Willow Park Church. My name is Courtney. First off, happy Valentine's Day, and welcome to Church Online. Here is your family news. We have some awesome news. Our midweek youth programs are starting up again this week. Grade 9 to 12 will attend on Wednesdays and grade 6 to 8 will attend on Thursdays. Please note that the times for youth have changed and will be split up into two grade groups each night. Pre-registration is required and you can learn more and sign up at cahoots.ca. Our kids team is hosting two drive-in movie nights on February 26th and 27th. Invite your neighbors and friends and reserve your spot at willowparkchurch.com movie. We are currently looking for two more elders to join the Willow Park Church board. We are now accepting nominations and would like to invite you to prayerfully consider who you think would be a good fit to join the leadership of our church. To learn more and to nominate someone to be considered for eldership, visit willowparkchurch.com elder. Kids Camp is happening in person the first week of spring break, March 15th to 19th, for kids age 4 to grade 5. Space is extremely limited, so register today at willowparkchurch.com slash kidscamp. We are also looking for a bunch of volunteers to be small group and station leaders. If you'd like to volunteer, please sign up online as well. That's all for your family news. Thanks and enjoy your service. 
Thank you so much, and thank you, Jeremy, for leading us, and thank you also uh, for Courtney, for the Willow One News. Uh, exciting to see how much is going on and how much is taking place. It really is wonderful. And thank you, Sarah, for leading us in worship this morning. Of course, happy family weekend and happy Valentine's Day. It falls today on a Sunday, so turn to your Valentine if you happen to have one. Give them a little peck on the cheek and tell them that you love them. Why not? This is Valentine's Day and we are celebrating. I don't know what you're doing special, and uh, but I wish you a very happy family weekend. Uh, we've been on our journey through the book of Daniel and this has been quite the ride. We started, of course, in 605 AD, where in Jerusalem, the armies arrived from Babylon and there Nebuchadnezzar took over the land of Judah. Basically, Judah became a vassal state and they took all of the gold and the silver the young men, and all of those, including Daniel and his companions, the best, the cream of the crop, those that showed the most ability, those that had the most wisdom. And of course, as they went, we then discovered that the great themes of Daniel's book, those themes that speak prophetically, not only then, but now and through the ages, were the themes that The people of God can always be faithful when they are facing problems. We have so much to celebrate. We look at the world from a completely different perspective, from a completely different view. We look at the world from the view of heaven, the view of the kingdom of God, the view of Christ being revealed in the world. But so often we can look at the world with fear, with anxiety, with worry. But what the cross teaches us And what the life of Jesus teaches us is that we can look at things from a completely different and profound perspective in our lives. This morning, will you do that? Will you look at your situations, not through human fear, not through human anxiety, not through frustration, but will you look at things through the eyes of Christ? Because it's only when you look at issues and problems from a different perspective, from a global perspective, indeed, from an eternal perspective of what God has achieved and the way that God has moved and worked. It is uh, wonderful. That we can trust God. We can trust him. And Daniel there had to trust God and know that the real grand master, the real one that was in control, the the one who makes the final move and says, checkmate, checkmate. You may have watched The Queen's Gambit uh, on Netflix, a really successful production. And it tells the story of a young girl, rather awkward, who is orphaned but develops a fantastic passion for chess. I remember myself being part of the chess club at school, but never being able to defeat a Russian grandmaster. And of course, in the novel uh, that it's taken from the story, uh, this young lady in the 50s and 60s with the kind of 
a culture that was male dominated. She rises up as this person who is able to see the whole of the chessboard. And no matter what move individuals make, she is able to make a move to counter that move and to use the famous moves like the Queen's Gambit. And at that moment, make the move at this moment and know which way to go because you've got to take charge of the chess board. I think in many ways, Daniel communicates that. That the person who is in charge of the great eternal chess board... We can never make a move without the sovereignty of God being present. We can never make a move without God knowing the beginning and the end. We can never make a move without knowing that God is in control and that God is within us. And that's what I call checkmate. And when Christ died upon the cross, he looked at the powers of darkness and he declared checkmate. When he looked at the grave and he rose on the third day, he declared checkmate. And when he looks at the sins of your life and he looks at our brokenness and yet we call on the blood of Jesus, we call on the power of Christ, then again it's checkmate. So now we step in. We step into chapter 5. Belshazzar. He is now the ruler. He is now the ruler over Babylon. And of course, this chapter denotes the last days of the Babylonian Empire. And we enter the story and really, we enter the story um, thinking about verse 37. Nebuchadnezzar, of course, at the end of the chapter, it ends in this way to make a very clear point. Let me remind you that the first six chapters of Daniel are individual stories to illustrate key facts. Illustrate that when there's a problem, God comes and helps us solve problems. That when we feel there is no way out, God is sovereign and God can intervene. When we feel as if there's no future, God is always holding the future because he rules over the kingdoms. The emperors of the world may think they are in charge, but the truth is God himself is in charge. And so we finish off with now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. This is important. We finished last week on this verse and we begin this week on this verse because we know that we've gone through the story of Nebuchadnezzar's great fall, of his years that he spent in the wilderness eating like the animals of the fields. We know the story because it was only when he looked up to heaven and realised that every good gift came from heaven. And he was willing to surrender his pride, surrender his arrogance, And the power of pride separates us. The power of pride is at work. The power of pride is something that affects our lives. It it creates a distance between us and God, a coldness. It creates a spiritual amnesia when we forget that we need God in our lives. And now we begin the journey. Now 
is the time King Belshazzar gave a great banquet. And we begin it with Belshazzar who does not portray the humility and the openness that Nebuchadnezzar did portray. Belshazzar steps in and he is holding a great banquet. He is celebrating with his nobles and he is drinking wine. And Belshazzar is, is, is orders to bring the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the great temple in Jerusalem. So there's a massive banquet going on. There's a massive party happening and he's celebrating he, how awesome he is. There's not an ounce of humility in Belshazzar. You know, it reminds me of this fact, and I'll say it again, no doubt, through this series, that the way that we should live our lives is always walking humbly before the Lord. Humility. Understanding the power of humility. When you face a problem in life, but you approach it in humility, it changes everything. Humility is beautiful. Humility is profound. Humility is powerful. Checkmate. That you know that humility is, is such a beautiful thing because Christ himself humbled himself. It's confusing for people why he's having a big banquet. Maybe he's having a big banquet because he wants to celebrate how wonderful he is. But actually, just the day before, we know this from history because we actually do know that this is the 12th of October, uh, 539, this very evening. Because this very evening, the Persians and the Medes will invade Babylon and take over. It is a point in history that we know. We can trace it to this moment. And just a day before, 50 miles south of Babylon, an army of the Babylonians was defeated. And now the Persians are moving up. There was a great battle and there was a great defeat that took place. And now here we have, perhaps in his drunken arrogance, perhaps he's getting his thousand noblemen together to celebrate together. To, to say, come on, we can beat the Persians. Before we do it, let me show you how powerful I am, how I'm not worried. We may have lost one battle, but we haven't lost the war. It's amazing to me how, how arrogance and pride can blind great leaders. And certainly this is what's happening. And he's praising the gods of gold, the gods of silver, the gods uh, at at this time. He's giving praise. And as they drank wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron and wood and stone. Oh, they loved it. They praised all the gods and they took the temple goblets and they clinked them together and they declared the, the greatness But something happened in the story. This chapter is 31 verses. It's worth reading it. Because suddenly the finger of God appears. 
and writes words on the wall. Of course, we know this chapter as the writing on the wall. And the finger of God appears and this so overwhelms Belshazzar that he is trembling. In fact, the scripture says that his knees are knocking together. He is completely shaken. He is absolutely in a mess. His world is falling to pieces. There's been a supernatural spiritual moment on the white wall of the throne room of the king. Now, in I think it was in 18... In the 1890s, they actually uh, discovered the throne room of the kings of Babylon. And as they unearthed this place, they discovered that the walls within the throne room were actually, yes, as described in the Bible. And they were, they were whitewashed and they were there, an ideal place for God's finger to come. Of course, they didn't find the writing on the wall, but they did find the wall itself and, the, and how the wall was created. Really interesting. But he, he called for the wise men, but nobody could interpret the writing on the wall. Until finally, the queen came. Now, who was this queen? There's a lot of debate about this queen. Even Herodotus, the great Greek historian, wrote about the wisdom and the clarity of this queen. It certainly wasn't Belshazzar's uh, mother. It, most people feel that it was um, Nebuchadnezzar's uh, wife, which may confuse you because actually Belshazzar, although it's his father, it probably means he, he preceded him. And in between Nebuchadnezzar, there were a number of rulers that came to the throne that called themselves Nebuchadnezzar. It's fascinating history of how. But this is like the queen mother. And the queen mother arrives and she talks about a man. She talks about a time. She talks about this man who the spirit of the holy gods were with him. Of talking about Daniel. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. And in the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. Interesting, Daniel enters the scene again in the court. And as he enters the scene, it's pretty clear from the text that Belshazzar treats him with a level of contempt. He treats him without that respect. If you look at the story of Nebuchadnezzar, he speaks to Daniel with respect. He actually says to him that uh, you have the spirit of the ancient gods within you. You are remarkable. There's a sense of humility with Nebuchadnezzar. But with Belshazzar, there's none of that. He looks at him and he reminds him where he's come from. Now remember, Daniel is 80 years old at this moment. 80 years old. He's a wise old man. He's been there in, um, in Babylon for over 55 years. He was taken probably as a teenage boy at that time. And so here he is. The date is October the 12th. 539 BC and he says are you Daniel one of the exiles my father the king brought from Judah my predecessors 
they brought from Judah. That's probably a better way of interpreting that. He says, are you? He reminds him instantly that he's part of a disgraced state. That Israel was defeated. That Judah was taken over by Babylon. And that his God, Yahweh, is like a minor God of, of those, those gods. So he looks at him. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. You see, this is the moment where Daniel doesn't care about his reputation. Daniel's 80 years old. Daniel doesn't care about the king. Daniel doesn't care. He stands before the king now and says to him, you know, Let me remind you and tell you the story. And he goes through the story of Nebuchadnezzar. He goes through the humbling. He goes through to the point of chapter 4, verse 37, where Nebuchadnezzar cries out, there is a God in heaven. He goes through all of those details to remind Belshazzar that in his life, he needs to be willing to be humble because humility brings blessing. God hears the prayers of the humble. God works in the lives of the humble. God shows his glory in humility as he showed his glory in the humility of Christ. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself though you knew all this. You knew the whole story of chapter 4, but you did not humble yourself. This is what the words mean. Many. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tickle. You have been weighed and the scales have found wanting. Prizaz. You, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. So this is the story. We have a great big banquet going on. They introduce the goblets and the goblets from the temple are brought. Then they praise the gods of gold, silver and bronze and believe that, that they are honouring the gods of the ancients and no doubt praise Murdoch and the god, the moon god Sin and the other gods. And then the finger of God appears and moves in power. And then they call for Daniel and the queen mother comes and she brings the wisdom of ancient days about what God taught about through Daniel. And then the judgment of the words are read and it's simply this. Your days are numbered, you have been weighed and your kingdom is going to be divided. God is the great grandmaster in charge of everything and God works. So what do we learn from this? What do we understand from this? Well, first of all, I want to draw your attention to the vessels. That we understand the vessels. It is mentioned that the goblets from the temple are brought into this banquet. We don't really know what these vessels were used for within the temple. But they were certainly sacred and they were certainly holy. But these sacred, holy vessels were being used for a purpose that they should never be used. And God's anger was towards Belshazzar. And I want to remind you as you look at this story, first of all, 
that you and I, we are vessels of the Lord. That we have been given so much. That we have been given his presence, his power. We have been given the presence of the Holy Spirit. For today, God does not dwell in the Ark of the Covenant. God does not dwell in a physical temple. God does not dwell in the tabernacle. God does not dwell and see goblets as sacred. But what is sacred today? Well, I want to remind you that you and I, we are vessels of the Holy Spirit and you and I are here to be used by God and we are vessels for God to fill us and use us within this world. And the challenge is this, are you willing to be a vessel set apart and used by God for God's glory? You are the temple of the Holy Spirit and God has called us to minister God's love. God has called us to bring God's grace. God has asked us, will we be lights that shine in the darkness? Will we be a vessel that God fills with power? Will we we be willing to be used by God? See, a vessel has to be used correctly. And in our lives, we need to remind ourselves that we are vessels. As 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18 to 20 says, Free, flee from sexual immorality. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were brought with a price. Therefore, honour God With your body. Do you not know that your body is what? The temple of the Holy Spirit. Today, there's a danger that we can walk away from God. Today, there is a danger, (coughs) excuse me, that we can allow ourselves to become polluted by the views and by this world, that we can allow ourselves to lose our direction, that we are no longer being filled with the presence and with the power of God in our lives. And that's why it's so important (coughs) that we confess. That's why it's so important that in our lives that we are willing to, to act in forgiveness that we're willing to bring our brokenness to Christ and we're willing to live in a place of forgiveness and grace because we are sacred vessels. We are vessels that the Lord wants to use. (coughs) We are vessels that God wants to use in power and strength and that he is with us and so close to us. The second thing is idols. And with the idols, what we realise is is that the idols were present and they they were being praised. And the danger was that they treated Yahweh as a minor God. They treated Yahweh in a way that Yahweh was like one of the smaller minor gods. Let me ask you a question. Have you heard of Murdoch? Only because I've preached about him. And mentioned him. Or the, or the moon god Sin. Well only because I may have mentioned it in sermons. But have you heard about Yahweh? 
Have you heard about Jesus Christ? Have you heard about the glory of God, that the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob has always been present? (coughs) (coughs) And there is a danger within our lives and within people's lives that we put God first. I seem to have a little tickle in my throat this morning. You can tell that this is definitely live. And um, for great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. I love this. Because it reminds us very simply this. That you can't put the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob on the same shelf as other gods. And in the same way, we are vessels of the Holy Spirit and God has called us to not live in pride or arrogance, but to live in humility, allowing our lives to become full of God's presence and God's power. But the same point, we mustn't allow the idols of the world to fill our own lives. That somehow we put Jesus on the shelf with the others. That somehow we put Jesus in that place where he comes not as first, but we've got other things, other things that come first before God in our lives. It's so important that we are willing in our lives to be able to put Jesus as number one in our lives. The next thing that we have is power. The finger of the Lord that is at work is that we understand that here in the narrative and in the story, the finger appeared. And this finger, of course, denotes the power and anointing of God that is at work. The finger that comes, the finger that speaks, the finger that points the weakness (coughs) and the sin. And the problems that uh, take place. In scripture we're minded that the finger was first really spoken about when, when the plagues came in Exodus. We're also reminded that the finger was spoken about when the Lord created the Ten Commandments. <coughs> and we're also reminded that the finger uh, came when we... Um, when, when God created the heavens and the earth in, in Psalm 8, and that took place. Well, Jesus reminds us that the finger of God is like the power of God that comes in the kingdom of God to drive out darkness. And I want to remind you very clearly That our lives, we are vessels that are full of the presence of God. I want to remind you that we should not have any more idols. And I want to remind you in our walk with the Lord that we want the power of God to be at work and to minister and to speak. I want to encourage you that in your life you would be willing to be that vessel and allow God to speak and to work and to minister. Judgment. Of course, this story is completely about judgment. 
It's about the judgment that came on Babylon because God's power was relieved. It's the judgment that came in a remarkable way and spoke through the finger of the Lord that says, you, your days are numbered. In fact, that evening, the Persians would come in along the riverbed and they would walk into Babylon and they would take over Babylon at that moment. <coughs> the danger is, is that we somehow feel like we can live in judgment. The danger is, is that we can somehow feel like we need to be like a Daniel. But God has called us in this age, not to judge this age, but to love this age. God has called us to speak clearly and to bring God's love and God's grace and God's presence. And that is so, so important. That we, when we look at this story, we realise that today we do not want to live our life. Do not judge, for you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged and you will be measured, you it will be measured to you. I, um, I think one of the most sad things about the Christian community is when we become deeply judgmental. God hasn't called us to be, be people of judgment. When you look at the story of Belshazzar, you realise that first of all, he was driven by arrogance and pride. Secondly, he of course was blasphemous. By taking the goblets from the temple. And thirdly, of course, he placed Yahweh amongst the other idols. And Daniel came as a prophet and spoke the prophetic power into the kingdom that brought the end of this nation. And when we come forward to the time of Christ now, we've got to realise that Christ has spoken to the whole world through the cross. That by his death, he has shown the ultimate love. And by his grace, and as we are vessels that are full of the Holy Spirit, as we are people who are not driven by the idols of the world, but we worship Christ alone. As we are people that believe that the finger of God is the power and authority of God, and the true power and the true authority of God only comes through the work of Christ and the cross that defeated Satan, that defeated sin and defeated death. As we realise these points, we know that within our lives that we want to live a life that is holy and full of the Holy Spirit. We want to live a life that activates all that Christ has purchased for us and all the way that Christ has worked within our lives. So maybe this morning, as you think about this, you realise that you're not living a life, a vessel that is holy to God and it's time for you to give your whole life over to God. Maybe you realise that you've got other idols in your life that are coming first instead of the work of Jesus Christ. And you've put Jesus Christ on the shelf of your life. Maybe you realise that you've forgotten that the real power comes from the power of God, the finger of God, that, that spoke and moved with the 
with the Egyptians and spoke in power and created the Ten Commandments. And his finger created all of the heavens and the earth, as Psalm 8 says. And maybe in your own life, there's a danger that you too can become full of of judgment, of anger. But today our role isn't to be like Daniel, to bring the judgment, because all judgment has been paid for on the cross. Our role is to bring God's love and God's grace into the world. Just look at Romans 2, 1 to 4. You therefore have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else. For whatever point you judge the others, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same thing, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, the tolerance and patience, not realising that God's kindness leads towards repentance? This story tells us a lot. It tells us that we need to be holy vessels. It tells us that we should have no more idols. It tells us that we should believe in the power of God in the world and in our lives. It also contemporarily tells us that when we look at the world, we should realise that our job isn't to judge the world, but our job is to call the world to repentance. To show the kindness and the grace of Christ. To show God's love. Now, one day there will be a judgment. One day God will point his finger at the world. One day there will be a great moment when the trumpet will sound and God's judgment will come to this world. And as Revelations declares, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For true and just are his judgments. Salvation and honour. Belong to God. One day, his judgments will come. Let me finish on this story. As we bring this together. The story is told of a father and a son. The father was a successful, wonderful European businessman. But he had one passion in his life. Well, he had two passions in the life. First of all, his first passion was, of course, his son. Loved his son. But his second passion was collecting art. Expensive art. Wonderful art. He'd go around and collect um, small pieces of Van Gogh and Raphael and other wonderful pieces of art. He'd take his son with him to all the museums and to all the art galleries and his own House, a beautiful European house, was filled with art from all over the world. And one day the call came as the war in Europe began and his son was called up. His son chose to go to war. The father was sad and they kissed each other goodbye and he hugged his father and he said goodbye. 
And so as his father, as his father waved the son goodbye, he feared the worst. Sometime later, he heard news that his beloved son had been killed on the front line. This broke his heart. This crushed him. He became a recluse in his museum of art. Till one day, a knock on the door came. The young corporal stood there holding a parcel. And as he stood there and looked at him, he said to him, said, sir, I was with your son on the front line. And the day he died, he saved many men, picking them up and carrying them to safety. He gave his life. In fact, I was there when he was shot. He was actually rescuing me. And I don't know what to say, but he'd often say to me, my father loves art. My father is an art collector. And sir, as a way of thanks, I have attempted to paint a portrait of your son. And I give it to you to say thank you that he gave his life to save my life. Well, the father didn't know what to say. He thanked him and he took and he looked at this amateur painting of his son. But it really touched him and he took it and he placed it in his great hall over the fireplace and would look at that. The story goes that over the years, over the decades, this piece of art, the amateur image of his son became the prized possession of his collection. He would remember that his son had given everything and sacrificed his life. The father died years later, but he left in his will that at this given time there would be an auction. And so a large crowd gathered. And as the auctioneer stood there, he brought out the first painting, which was the portrait of the son done by the unprofessional artist. And those who were there, the dealers, were like, we don't want this. Get rid of it. We don't need this. Stop. And they grumbled and they moaned and they moaned and they jeered. And the auctioneer said, no. This was what the the man wanted in his will. The first painting to be sold is the portrait of his son. Who will give me an amount for this? Nobody spoke. We want the Raphael. We want the Van Gogh. Who will do this? And after a while, the place went silent and right at the back of the hall, an old gardener that had worked for the family stood up and said, I will give you ten, ten dollars. I will give you this for this painting. And the auctioneer said, anybody else going one, going two, going three, bang. And then they finished the auction at that moment. And at that moment, 
All the crowd went, what was taking place? What has happened at this moment? What has taken place? And the auctioneer said, this is what has happened. This is what has taken place. The father's will was the one who buys the portrait of the son receives the whole collection, the whole treasure, receives everything. The crowd was shocked. And of course, what took place was that the old gardener received all the treasures that came from the family, from the son. A lot of people view our faith as irrelevant. A lot of people view Jesus Christ as as something that is useless. Why would you have faith? But the truth is, when you receive the son, you receive the treasure. And when you receive the treasure, you receive the inheritance. And everything comes from God at that moment. You receive the great treasure that comes, the great inheritance as a child of God. And you and I are vessels of the Lord. We've been given the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We are not called to have other idols because what God has given us, the treasure that God has given us is so magnificent and so wonderful. And friends, people may think that Jesus Christ is irrelevant But let me tell you, the day you gave your life to Jesus is the day you received the greatest treasure that comes through the Son, through his work on the cross. So I let me remind you, be a vessel that is sanctified for God. Don't put anything before Jesus. Let me remind you, yes, That the power of God comes into our lives like a finger and can change and can change circumstances. And let me remind you that the way of pride, of arrogance and judgment will always hinder the Christian's life. But we have received a whole treasure. When Christ said it is finished, the gavel went down. The auction was over and you received the treasure of God. And I want to thank you for listening and apologies for my coughing and whether it's a bit dry in here or whether I've got a bit of a tickle in my throat. But I will encourage you to live and to know God's strength and his presence within your life. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity that we know that you have met with us, that we know that you have joined and spoken to us. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you will come and help us to realise the treasure that we've got, that you are in control, that we are your vessels And you have chosen to fill us as temples of the Holy Spirit. Help us to live knowing that we have inherited such a great treasure because of our faith in Jesus Christ. Amen.
Thanks for joining us. We're so blessed that you've been with us this morning. And we pray that God will bless you this family weekend. Thank you.